Good morning. Uh, this is Pastor Jerry, and just want to welcome you to the worship service for Chesterland Baptist Church this Sunday. You're at home, and I'm here, and I hope that uh, as you gather together with your family around the coffee table or with a cup of coffee or wherever you are, uh, just I hope that this is a meaningful time for you as we go into worship. Uh, it's been an unusual week, as they all are. But as uh, we begin to worship, I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture and then uh, to remind us that uh, we are in God's universe. We don't have to worry about what is happening around us because God constantly tells us to not fear. Listen to Psalm 27. David, in the midst of war, says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war arises against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. As we think about the, the virus, recognize that God is more concerned about you and he's the defense of your life as well. But I didn't want to just stay with the virus as the focus is You'll hear enough about that. I wanted to move on in the book of Acts. And so the second passage of scriptures, you've heard me say before in the church, it's Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings and spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be put to shame, and do not be humiliated, for you will not be disgraced. But you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember, your no, you will remember no more, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I forsook you, but with great compassion I will gather you. Let's uh, turn to the Lord in prayer now. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you that your sufficient grace is perfectly capable of getting us through this day and every day. And thank you that you are the defense of our lives and the fact that we can go beyond the problems to think about what you're doing to enlarge our tent. Father, thank you for Jesus uh, being the one that's going before us and behind us, 
beside us and that he is our present help even in this very hour. So Lord, we turn to you. We confess our sins to you. And we say, Father, that uh, we need you uh, in this time to really strengthen us and continue to make us strong in you. So Father, as we gather together as your people today, would you gather us and speak to us and build us for your name's sake, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, today I'm going to be reading from Acts. And we're going to move into Acts 11, verse 19 through 26. Acts 11, verse 19 through 26. So listen as I read the word of God. So then there were those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen and made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and they began preaching speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church, and they taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Okay. As I think back through the experiences as I'm reading in the scriptures, I think about the, how experience, how the tradition of the Jews, and how culture are so uh, important as our teachers that help us understand how we fit into the groups that we belong to. And yet, experience and tradition and culture may be the very thing that obstruct the Holy Spirit from doing His work of introducing us to the kingdom of God. How does the Holy Spirit work with a group that is time-bound, thought-bound, culture-bound, trust-bound? How does He break us uh, out of all those molds that we grew up with to think like He does in the kingdom of God? Without the work of the Holy Spirit, enlarging our vision and appreciating more about the value of the kingdom, without his work, the church will grow into an irrelevant and obsolete institution if we do not keep in step with the Spirit of God. Well, Bill Mounts a president of the Biblical Training uh, 
and he's a masterful teacher of Greek. He's known for his work, The Basics of Biblical Greek. He was saying uh, in a podcast uh, this week uh, that caught my eye I want to share with you. Uh, Bill was talking about how sometimes in translating the Bible, the meaning of a word uh, doesn't have to be explicit, and then sometimes it does. Uh, there, there's one example he goes into in particular that ties into our theme for today, and it has to do with John the Baptist and Jesus. So let's look into this uh, this short little study on a word to springboard into the book of Acts. The verb that he brought out was the verb to grow, and he wanted to look at the imperfect verb, which means the continuous growth that uh, was used in two passages. These two passages are one, uh, Luke 80, 180, where, where it says about John the Baptist, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And John the Baptist lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. The child grew and became strong. Uh, that word grew is translated in another translation as the child was growing and was becoming strong. Grew, was growing. Is there a difference? Well, the translators would look at the meaning of those two words and say, yeah, there is a difference. There's a subtle difference that will come into play for us in a minute. Likewise, Luke talks about Jesus the same way. Uh, Jesus, in Luke 2.40, he says, the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. John was continually growing and becoming stronger. Jesus was continually growing and becoming stronger, being strong in spirit, becoming stronger in spirit, and that's why I've entitled this uh, message, Stronger in Spirit, Clearer in Vision. Well, in Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature. As they were both uh, growing and increasing, becoming stronger, you find, you find these two words, grow and was growing, uh, differentiated by Dr. Mounts. And they're not the same thing, though they seem to say the same thing. Note how the focus on the verb makes us think growing, the process of growing up, as being continual. Jesus was continually becoming strong, continually learning, continually changing. But he was growing not only physically, but he became strong spiritually. He became more powerful. He became more courageous. And he was increasing in his wisdom, increasing in his discernment, in his perspicacity. The thing about this word, Mounts doesn't like, is that the word grew tends to be, have an idea that you have completed the process. So once a child grows up to be adulthood, he stops growing. And that's not the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is 
there's a continual process, and that process goes way beyond just reaching adulthood. This fine-tuning of the word to continue to grow, was growing, uh, is used in Acts 6-7, where the word of God continued to spread and was continuing to spread. In Acts 12-24, it says it was continued to advance uh, throughout the kingdom. In 1 Corinthians, um, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God has been causing the growth. So neither the one who plants is anything nor the one who waters is anything, but God who makes things continually growing. And that's the idea. God has been causing the growth. Well, it's one thing to think about that in terms of physical age. Um, As Sandy would say that there's four types of stages of life. She would say that there's the grow-grow, and then there's the go-go, and then there's the slow-go, and then there's the no-go. So we get physically tied down to uh, our capacities physically. But spiritually, there's a difference here, because Paul talks about in Ephesians uh, 4.13, that the growth of the believers is to mature to the point that we're able to encourage and teach and pass on and help other people to grow. It makes really little difference whether we're talking about physical maturity or, or spiritual maturity with that word. But when you apply that word to the church, the meaning is that the work of the apostles, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, and everyone in the fellowship is to provide growth in the fellowship, the edification of the fellowship. And therefore, it is, to perf- it is the um, perfect form that is achieved when every Christian appointed by God in the church continues to grow and contribute to the body of Christ. And Paul goes on to say that the goal of that growth <clears throat> is, is until we attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue, statue, stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Unity, understanding, established spiritual health, and the fullness of, of Christ as we know him. Well, as we think about these four areas uh, that we're all growing in the body of Christ, to become stronger in Christ, become stronger in spirit, means that God's spirit has to do something to help us grow. And one of the things that he has to do is he has to stretch us in our ability to understand how he works. I remember as a young Christian, one of the things that really stood out to me in the book of Joshua was when I went through and I followed Joshua's growth, I saw that what Joshua did at the beginning of the book of Joshua, the the battle he fought and taking over from Moses, that leading the people through the wilderness, that was a real challenge for Joshua, and, and, it, and he needed courage, and so God would encourage him there. But then he moved to another battle 
And the second battle was he had to go into the land and, and spy out the land. And that's the story of Rahab. And you know, read, read in Joshua about how he would have to take on the unknown and risk uh, fighting fighting the uncertainty as he gets into the into the land of the into the promised land but then he had to cross the jordan and he had to lead people and then he had to fight at jericho and then he had this problem at ai and then he had this coalition of kings and what i saw what i saw in joshua was that each battle was different no battle was the same and that one battle would make him stronger for the next battle but through every battle, each different battle, Joshua grew and was continually growing until all the way through his life, at the end of his life, he says, we know who we serve. You have to choose who you serve because Joshua grew in his trust and his courage. He just, he just grew in the spirit. Well, likewise for us, each battle that we go through is a training for God's spirit to help us grow in our own spirit, to grow in our own understanding. Paul said it this way, that life is more than survival, just fighting the battles. Life is more than just solving problems. But there's something about growing in the maturity of Christ that makes us more than conquerors. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not? Uh, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And here's the point: God has more to give to us. God has more training to do for with us. He wants to introduce to us more about his goodness, more about his grace, more about his protection, more about his wisdom. God wants us to know him intimately far more than we want to know. But he's willing to give us all that we need to know if you understand his goals of really bringing you closer to him. So in letting God continually working within us through our battles and through the other things, we find ourselves really enjoying the Bible more. It, it's, it becomes richer. You begin to look at prayers as, a, as an experience, not just something you do because you have to or because there's a problem. Prayer becomes a personal conversation in a friendship with Christ. How beautiful the rich fellowship is when Christians are walking together. How warm that fellowship, how great it is to see other people come to know Christ and grow and learn, and they get excited. You see, growing in maturity, as John and Jesus did, they grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and man. And all that's under the umbrella of the word, they grew in grace. Well, as you get into this passage, I want to talk a little now about the church in Antioch because this is a church that was growing and was continually, continually growing. And you couldn't stop it. As, as a matter of fact, at Acts 11, we are now 10 years 
past Pentecost. In 33 AD, Christ was crucified, was buried, and resurrected. Three years later, we have Stephen that was stoned in 36. And now in 43 AD, pretty close to that time frame, we have this new center of the church north of Jerusalem and into Antioch. And so verse 19 says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen, they left Jerusalem and they went up the coast by way of Phoenicia, Cyprus, that island off to the side, and then Antioch up north. And they were speaking the word. They were continually speaking the word. Now notice this little phrase. They were speaking to the word to no one else except the Jews. People from Jerusalem sharing as they went along the way to Jews. Jews to Jews. And this is the first obstacle to their growth. The, Jew, the Jews were tribal, parochial in their thinking. They were in, a, they were in a mode of just birds of a feather flocked together. And they just wanted to be concerned about their own. But the Spirit of God was training them to break out of that mold, mode, and they had to grow in their vision to understand that God was interested in all the world. You'd say they were ethnocentric. You could say they were nationalistic. You could say they were patriotic. They were zealots. You could say a lot of words. But you would listen to them, and you could probably translate this, though this may be maybe far-fetched, but you could say it this way. They would read the scriptures and uh, they would say, for God so loved us and only us that he has sent his only begotten son that he would only save the Jewish people. And uh, for whoever Jews that would believe in him, they would have eternal life. But they would miss it. They would misunderstand that God was not only interested in a little group that problem happened all the way through the New Testament. Paul saw that in Corinthians, where the Corinthians would also become more concerned with their clique. Paul said, I've been informed by you, my brethren, by closed people, that there are quarrels among you. And I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of, of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Has Christ been divided? But well, when you have this narrow-minded, ethnocentric, denominational, patriarchal, tribal mindset, you block the Spirit of God from really helping you grow in understanding the kingdom. If you have faith in whatever denomination you are, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Protestant, Catholic, if you understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that Jesus Christ came on earth because he loved the world and that he would die for those, all those sins of all the people in all the world, that there's only one way to salvation. If you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected again, and your faith is in him for salvation, and you confess your sins and trust him for eternal life, you're part of the kingdom family. We're all the same. We're all in the same boat. 
if Christ is the one that provides you with that promise and you're born again, you are a new creation in Christ. All things passed away. And notice it has nothing to do with what group you're with. It has everything to do with the Savior you belong to. Well, those who went north forgot that. They were only speaking the word to the Jewish people. And they forgot the purpose of God and that God wanted all nations to be discipled. And verse 20, though there were these Jews who were only speaking to the Jews, there were some of them who were speaking to the Greeks also. These were men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and they began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Who were these Cyrene men? These were Jewish people who understood that God had enlarged their hearts and vision to include the international group. Now keep in mind, again, God had been doing his work 10 years after Pentecost. And he had stretched these men and they went up north to Antioch and they would go beyond them. Their names? Here they are. Simon. Lucius. Barnabas. Agabus. These men were at work in, in Antioch. And if you have to go to Acts 13.1 and pick up their names. But let me go back to share with you how God had been working in each of these men's lives. The men of Cyrene. First, Simon, called Niger, and Lucius, these two guys. Uh, in Mark 15, you come across a guy named Simon. You may know Simon because he is the one that was enlisted to carry the cross of Christ as the Messiah dragged the heavy wooden cross down the street. The Romans pressed him into service, and his, he was Simon of Cyrene. Where's Cyrene? Cyrene is in the country of Libya, uh, west of Egypt. And they were, there was a group of Jewish people who had been scattered down to northern Africa. But here comes Simon back during Pentecost, and he brought his family with him. Notice that Simon was a worshiper of the God of the Jewish people because he was there for Pentecost, therefore the Passover and Pentecost. He probably was a dispersed Jew, and he came back, and he was married, and he had two sons. We know that Simon, um, uh, his first son was Alexander, and his second son was Rufus. Now, where do I get these names? I'm not making them up, I, I guarantee you. But he brought his sons with him when he went to the Passover. And uh, you'll find these in, in uh, Romans 16, 13. Greet Rufus, Paul says, chosen in the Lord. And greet his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And so Paul is writing to Rufus and to uh, his mother and Alexander. They were all part of a father two sons, and maybe his wife went with him that trip. Can you imagine two teenage boys being with their dad in Jerusalem, watching Jesus carry the cross? 
And can you imagine your dad being pulled out to carry that cross? The Spirit of God worked. The Spirit of God worked in Simon and those two boys, Alexander and Rufus. Later on, they would grow to become leaders in the church. Well, Lucius was another one that, Paul, that Luke records as being there in Antioch. And again, uh, Paul greets uh, Lucius, and it says uh, in Romans 16, 21, uh, Timothy, greet Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and, uh, and, and they were part of, probably of the 70 disciples who followed Christ. But they were uh, men of Cyrene. There was men of Cyprus too, it says. Barnabas was from Cyprus. And um, whatever you see these men who, who had been outside of Jerusalem, they had an international focus that they would understand that uh, God was doing something far beyond Jerusalem. And verse 21 says, The hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So the first obstacle was those Jews in Antioch talking to the Jews. And then there were those Jews in Antioch that were talking to the Greeks and those way beyond the Jews. The second obstacle was Jerusalem. They had to learn, too, that God was opening up, enlarging, enlarging the tent to allow the Gentiles to come in. Verse 21, verse 22 the news about those in Antioch reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Now, Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so Barnabas knew uh, the variations where God was going to be working among the Gentiles. But the, the people in J Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to check out the work in Antioch to confirm what was being done. And when Barnabas arrived and he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and he began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And again, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Simon understood, Lucius understood, Barnabas understood, but it would take a while before the J Jerusalem leaders would understand before they could wrap their head around how the grace of God was poured out on the Gentiles. The Spirit of God was given to the Gentiles without having to go through the tribal requisites of the Jerusalem culture. And so when Barnabas was up there, an interesting point, Barnabas was saw everybody was growing. And verse 25, Barnabas left for Tarsus to look for Saul to look for Paul. Now, why did he do that? Why, if, if Barnabas is there, and Simon is there, and Lucius is there, and others are there, and they're full of the Spirit, and the grace is there, why would Barnabas go get Paul? That's an interesting question. When he found Paul, he brought him back to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and they taught considerable numbers. Why did he get Paul when he didn't get Peter? 
He didn't bring in John because the focus wasn't what was going on in Jerusalem. The focus was going on what was going on among the Gentiles. For Paul was the, the instrument that God set aside to reach the Gentiles. And therefore, Barnabas understood and he knew that for this group who were fully committed, but not fully developed, they needed a man like Paul to stretch them, to understand the vision of the kingdom, to understand the movement of the gospel throughout the world. Therefore, God was bringing in the more mature Paul to teach the maturing believers who would learn how to labor beyond their own little group. And so God was stretching them, growing them, and causing more growth even among the Jews and the Gentiles. Well, for us, for us, that's the same challenge for us to understand that God is at work in each and every one's life to remove those obstacles, to enlarge our vision, to understand that God's going to bring in people who are pastors and teachers and brothers and sisters to help us understand how to walk in the Spirit better, how to understand the grace of God better, how to communicate the gospel better, but to get outside of our group so that we begin to see our hearts enlarged, to see that our abilities to communicate to those who don't belong to our tribe who don't belong to our denomination, but do want to belong to the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this. What is God doing in you to help you grow in your vision of how you fit into the church? How is God's spirit at work in you removing the obstacles so that your range and your scope of relationships would be broader and bigger so that you would communicate and reflect the love of Christ to those who don't know him. As Joshua had to learn different things as he went through, God's giving you certain battles to learn different things. As John the Baptist was growing, as Jesus was growing, as the church in Antioch was growing, let me ask you, are you growing? Are you growing in the Spirit? Are you growing in grace? Are you growing in wisdom? And those four areas, the unity of Christ, your understanding of Christ, your fellowship in the Spirit and the fullness in the body of Christ, are you close to people in church? Are you helping other people grow in understanding of what Christ is doing in their lives? Are you discipling? Are you being discipled? Or are you just still waiting, talking to those that you're comfortable with, and God hasn't broken, broken, hasn't taken you out of your circle yet so that you can learn how to be stretched and share the gospel with those that you're not comfortable sharing with? Let me just encourage you. I think God is at work in every man's heart, and he takes them right where they are. But he won't take you beyond where you are until you trust and obey the immediate step. Whatever battle you're fighting, God has appointed it so that you can trust him as you go through and grow through uh, until you reach maturity. 
well. The Holy Spirit is like an Olympic coach. He knows how to train you. He knows how he knows what he's doing. He knows how to develop your skills and your to reach your peak performance. For us, we know that we don't have to fear, but we can walk by faith. And as we do so, we find God making this little church in Antioch, this little church in Chesterland Baptist, filled with the Spirit, reaching out beyond our walls. Let me invite you this week, as you run into situations, ask God, are you opening doors, not just so that I talk to other people, but he's opening doors for you to enlarge your heart and trust him as you're watching God's spirit grow you in your particular circumstance. Well, there's a lot more to that. And I'll have to continue as we go into the book of Acts. But for now, I just want to leave you with this thought. That therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. New things. New things. More things. Rich things are available to you as you continually grow in him. Let's pray. Your word says you cause the growth. And we have to be available and open to you to work in our spirit. And so, Father, we just ask that you would guide us now into the truth of who you are and who we are so that we understand that grace of God. Father, now protect your people. Open up our eyes and enlarge our hearts that we might share the good news with those who have yet to come to know you. That we might share the news with those who are still growing in grace. But Father, we simply pray, we're your vessels. We're here to serve you and others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.